Well, we have been um, looking since the beginning of the year on focusing on the Christ, and more specifically in this section of it, we've been looking at the shadow of the Christ, and looking at different passages from the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, which were pointing toward the coming of the Christ. And so, all the way back from even Genesis 1, where we saw about the Creator and we saw that He was the Lord of creation and the Lord of Sabbath, that Jesus Christ is the Sabbath for us. And then in Genesis 3, that He would be the seed of woman. Then in the book of Job, He would be the Redeemer. And how Job said that that He knew that His Redeemer lived and that He would see Him face to face. And then He would also be the seed of Abraham. He would be the Melchizedekian priest. He would be the Lamb of God, the way, which is um, the Jacob's ladder, when we saw that. He would be the coming king. He would be our Passover lamb. He would be the light of the world, as we saw the Shechina Kabod that was there. The, the bread of life, the living water, the mediator, as we looked at the, the Levitical priesthood, the sin sacrifice. He would be the first fruit, as we saw the, fir- the feast of first fruits, and we got to see that right there in Resurrection Day, what a beautiful timing it was. And then the cure, as the... the um, the bronze serpent held up in the wilderness um, to, to cure those who would look upon it, look and live. And then we saw that he would be also the prophet, who would be one like Moses. And then last week, we saw that he would be the Davidic king. Today, I want to move forward into a passage that is probably one of the most well-known passages, as Steve said as we read it earlier, um, to, to, to known to man, and, and probably one of the most quoted. Most of you probably haven't memorized whether you purposely did that or not, if, if I stood here and started to say, you know, without you looking at your Bibles, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, you could probably start quoting it with me. And it's amazing to me how many who aren't even believers who could even start to do that as well. I mean, when you go to a funeral, what almost do you expect to hear? 23rd Psalm, you know? And how many people want to talk about this, the Psalm 23? And for me, the first five verses of this Psalm um, are probably the most five profound words in all of Scripture. You say, well, it's not five. It is in Hebrew. Um, in the, um, but anyways, it's Yahweh is, in fact, it's four. Yahweh is what? My shepherd. Yahweh is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And I could preach many different messages just on that. I mean, think about it. If you gave impact to each one of these, so let's think, the Lord... Yahweh is my shepherd. I mean, who's your shepherd? Yahweh. I mean, could you, Yahweh. Yahweh is my shepherd. What's that talk about? It is right now. The, the, the permanence of it right now, the present tense of it. Yahweh is my shepherd. It's personal, isn't it? Yahweh is my shepherd. Shepherd. He's the one who what? Provides for me and protects me. This is an awesome thing. So, anyways, we're not going to go through all that. We're going to kind of hit a lot of those thematically as we go looking at Jesus as the shepherd today. Um, But it's just an incredible passage um, as we look at it. But because the Lord is my shepherd, because all that is true, the first thing I know is I can have what? Contentment. It's written right there for you. I have contentment. Why? Because I know he cares about my physical needs. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not I shall not want. Now this is an amazing thought, isn't it? What does it mean to want? It means you're lacking something. And so when we as his children whine our discontent, that means that we are declaring that he is what? He has not provided something for me. He is incapable of providing my every want. But David, the shepherd, understanding what he's writing about, says, because Yahweh is my shepherd, Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not, I shall not want. He provides for my physical needs. What are the, some of the things that he provides for us? What are we told in, in, right off the bat in this? He rests. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He what? Makes me to lie down in green pastures. I remember when I was in seminary, and it was my uh, senior year, and it was the fall of that senior year, and I had miscalculated um, some of my, my uh, what do you call it, my classes, the, the, what do you call it, my credits, thank you, yes. 
And I had taken some in the summertime, a couple classes in the summertime, because I, I was bent on I was going to graduate in two and a half, three school years, but two and a half years, because that's how much money I had coming from the government to be able to help pay for that, okay? And, um, and so I took some classes during the summertime, and I still had papers from the book of Matthew, right? I studied the, the book of Matthew that summer, and, and so I had still had some papers to write um, coming out of that, blending into my summer, or into my fall semester, which I was already having 17 credits going into that, into that fall, and, and then we also were in reserves, so, and then I worked full-time, okay? So I, you know, I had class from um, 8 o'clock in the morning till noon, and then from um, 12.30 to 8.30, I worked, and then on Thursday nights, we had reserves, and so we just kind of went straight to there, and we had that till midnight. So I was already packed. I mean, I was busy. And, um, and so I already had 17 credits. Now I got um, papers that are coming in from the fall as well that are hanging with me. And because of my, my background, um, Chief, who, if you were here in Sunday school, I, I talked about who Chief was, he decided that I would be a good matchup to counsel this um, one guy who was struggling with drug addiction and stuff. And, um, and so he, he asked me to, to take him on and to, to, to work with him. Like I had extra, yeah, nothing else to do. It's extra time to do. But I said, I'm going to do that. And I had petitioned um, back in the springtime, we were going to move to another local church so that I could get experience working with adults. Because, you know, I mean, I'm going to graduate, and, and all I'm working with is nothing personal kids, is working with fourth graders. And though kids are important, and I love that's why I work with the summer program, I, I want to work with kids. I knew that when I came out, I was going to be working with adults. And so I needed some experience. So they did something for me that they had never done, and they allowed me to teach in Bible Institute. But they allowed me to teach anthropology, which is the study of man. But they had no syllabus for it. So I had to come up with my own syllabus to teach this Bible Institute, Bible College kind of class, at the same time. So I had 17 credits. I have my papers coming in from the summer. I'm teaching a Bible Institute class, and I'm counseling a, a, a guy who is just Captain Israel. And, I mean, that's literally what he referred to himself as, Captain Israel. And it was just really kind of fun. I mean, I had to enter into his, what was that? And I had reserves, yes, and I had reserves. Not to mention a wife and kids. So, but I never, that was kind of meaningless at that moment. Mar- Marge did a great job. <laughs> that was a side note. Mar- Marge did a great job during that time. Anyways, and, and the Lord was allowing me to get through it, you know? And, but things were hanging. I mean, and the, the guy that I had for Matthew, uh, Mike Stissinger was a, my favorite professor, and, and he worked with me, and he understood, me, understood all that. And, and so he dealt with me coming on through and so I still had like another paper hanging, you know, even from the summer going all the way through that semester. And, and so now I'm going into the Christmas break, and I've got to take a, a class going through the Christmas break, but I still have papers coming from my, my fall, right? So, I mean, it's just it, it's just verbal snowball rolling down the hill. And so I was coming down the steps at the, the, the high school. Public, I worked at a public high school as a, a janitor, and I cleaned the cafeteria um, every day, and I, and I went upstairs and I cleaned classrooms and bathrooms and that kind of stuff. And... Anyway, so I was coming down the steps to the cafeteria, singing it as well with my soul. Literally, I was, I was really, I love to sing. If you haven't been around me enough, and if I'm by myself and I don't think anybody's around, I'll belt it out. I'll, you know, I'll do the, uh, the, the fiddle on the roof stuff, you know, and I'll just be belting out. And, um, anyways, but I was belting out it as well with my soul coming down the stairwell. It was great acoustics in that stairwell. And um, anyways, I missed the final step. It was almost like the Lord was saying, really? And, and, and anyways, I twisted my ankle, okay? And... Anyways, and so I couldn't get up on it. And so I, I dragged myself out into the cafeteria yelling for the, the guy who cleaned up the kitchen area and, uh, and literally dragging myself, you know, just on along the floor, crawling. And so I got to one of the tables, and I pulled myself up on the table, and he came out and said, man, you need help. I said, no, no, I got it now. I'm, I'm good. And so I got up, and, and I'm trying to walk it off. You know, you, know, you twist your ankle, you try to walk off, the, you know, twist it off. And uh, I said, I'm, I'm good. Now, you understand, it was, it was wintertime, so it's north of Philadelphia. There's snow and ice on the ground. And, and so I decided oh, I can't go across the courtyard, which is a very short, because we had pods, okay? And so it was a very short distance to the receiving area, but I couldn't go out there on the ice. I knew with a twisted ankle, that was probably not a smart move. Every once in a while, a moment of brilliance does come. Anyways, 
So I decided I had to stay inside. Well, now that makes it almost a half mile of a walk. I mean, because you're going from this pod to that pod to this pod. To, you know, go all the way over to the pod that was right next to you anyway. And so I finally get over there, and he, my boss is on the phone. And I'm, I sat on in this chair, you know, and, and I went to massage my, my ankle, you know. And I realized, you know what? My ankle doesn't hurt. It hurt a little bit lower. I went down, and I went to massage my foot, and I realized I got a football sticking out the side of my foot. Yeah. And anyway, so I took my shoe off, and there's my foot, you know, sticking way out. And um, anyways, it still has a little bit of a bump there to this day. And anyways, I what? I broke my foot. And so now I've got to have my brother-in-law, who happens to live with us, come over and, and drive me to the hospital in the ice. And um, they thought that I fell on the ice. No, no. I, I missed a step singing it as well with my soul. You know, <laughs> it was a great opportunity to witness everybody, you know. <laughs> They're just kind of looking at me like, this guy's not for real. And uh, anyways, but what I told people was, the reality is that God brought this passage into full color to me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Because guess what? For the next five weeks, I couldn't work. I had a cast on. I wouldn't take the break. So God gave me a break. <laughs> Literally. He made me to do what? To lie down. My body needed rest. Just ask my wife. She'd tell you. And God said, if you're not going to do it for yourself, then you're forcing me as your dad to step in and do it for you. So, physical needs. How many of you are like a dumb sheep. Yeah. And we don't know to stop when we need to stop. Do you know when a sheep continually seeks to leave the, um, the field, and like get, if they have fencing or whatever, gets through the fence and stuff like that, do you know eventually what a shepherd will have to do to a sheep? It'll break its leg. I proved that day that I was what? A dumb sheep. <laughs> And the Lord said, fine, i got to do it to them. i got to do it to you. We'll just mess with your foot, not your leg. And um, so anyways, he takes care of our physical needs. He provides us physical rest, and he provides us physical nourishment. Turn with me to Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, passages that you know well. And if you've been with us in the summer, uh, uh, in Sunday school, we, we've been, we just, the last couple months, went through Isaiah 40 to 48. But Isaiah 40 talking about physical rest, verse 29, Isaiah 40, verse 29. In fact, I'm going to start at verse 28 for context because it tells us who he is. Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, Yahweh, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on Yahweh shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. When we have our eyes focused on him, God gives us rest. God gives us strength. God gives us the, the power, the, the, the vigor, if you would, to continue on to serve. When you begin to get tired, and I can tell you in the ministry, there are times when I'm, I'm weary. And, and, I, and I think, oh, good grief, I don't want to do this anymore. But it's those times when I realize what? My focus has been wrong. Yeah. I'm putting my eyes upon sheep rather than the shepherd. I'm putting my eyes upon the world's um, standards of success rather than God's. And I have to place my eyes and wait again upon Yahweh, upon the Lord. And he is the one who gives us strength. In the beginning part of that chapter, look up at verse 10. It says, Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arms, and carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those who are with young. God is the one who will sustain us. God is the one who provides the grass. In the Psalms we read about how God provides even for the rock badger. 
I mean, God provides for each of his creation. And God provides the grass for his sheep, if you would. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. If you are starved, may I suggest a good book to read, to feast upon? I mean, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God has given us his word to feast upon, and some of us act like we are, are um, star- starving paupers rather than fattened child- children of the king. But he cares about my physical needs. Secondly, he cares about my emotional needs. What does he say? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the tranquil, still waters, the, the peaceful waters. And Paul says in, to the Philippians, in Philippians chapter 4, he says, be anxious for nothing, or be careful, and the King James says be careful for nothing, but it means be anxious, be anxious for nothing, but in all things, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. Be anxious for, what? Nothing. But rather with, Supplication and what? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. So, that, that, that trial, that event that you are anxious about, instead of being anxious, you should be what? Prayerful. Thankful. Thankful. But honestly, how many of us, when we're going through an emotional situation, would say, boy, I'm really thankful for this moment. Mm-mm. God provides the tranquility that we need. It's like that physical rest. Sometimes it's beyond the physical rest. Sometimes we need what? We need emotional rest. We need, we need to be calm. We need to be still and to know that he is God. And so God is the one who brings peace. Psalm 119, verse 165 says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall cause them to stumble. Nothing shall offend them. Nothing shall, shall be a stumbling point to them because they've spent their time dwelling upon the Lord. We're told he's also the one who brings restoration. And you can look at Matthew 11 later. But God is the one who restores us as well. He restores our, our soul. Psalm 19 talks about the law, how the, the law is perfect, that it restores our, our souls. It's, it's that which gives us strength again. Not just physically strength, but emotional strength to continue on in the journey. He cares about my, my spiritual needs. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me, physically, to lie down in green pastures. He leads me by the sides of still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. Why? For His name's sake. So many times we, we take our eyes off of Him and we place them on ourselves and we care about our own holiness. But why do we want to be holy? Because we don't like the results of what? Our sin. But when we forget about the results of our sin, when we forget about the consequences, what do we do? We look to the sin again. Because the sin is what? Pleasurable. I mean, let's be honest. You don't sin because it's miserable. You sin because, for the moment, it is pleasurable. But the consequences of it, we're, we're told over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again, and we're, God, word to God, and that is the wages of sin is death. And so when we get, finally get to that consequence, and there's death that's involved, whether it's a death in a relationship, whether it's a remorse, just an achiness of my soul, or whatever it is, and the death in a relationship with God, which ultimately it is, we don't like it anymore. And so if my holiness, if my purity, if my desire for, for morality is only for Bob, then it's only temporary. But if the path of righteousness which I desire to walk upon is for his namesake, then it never changes, does it? Does God's desire for my righteousness ever change? It doesn't. Does God's desire for my righteousness ever change? No. I mean, God's desire for righteousness never changes, and God's desire for my righteousness never changes. Do you get the difference between the two? God always desires righteousness, but for his children, he desires my righteousness, our righteousness. And so, 
he delivers me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Not just mine. Mine's a derivative that comes off of it. Turn with me to Proverbs 3. A passage that probably many of you know as well. Trust in Yahweh, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will what? He'll direct your path. Do, do you see the, the, the conditional statements there though? It, there's no if there. But can you see the if? And the if is what? If you trust in the Lord, okay? And if you what? Lean not on your own understanding. And if, in all your ways, you acknowledge him, then he will direct your paths. But God's not going to come in and force you until he has to. You know, break your, break your foot or break your knee because you won't do it yourself, right? But as a whole, he's not going to come in and usurp you. If you want the guidance of God, what do you have to do? Go to him for it. I can tell my sons, or my daughters, but we'll pick up my sons. I can tell my sons, so I'm blue in the face, what would be good for them. But if they don't what? Want it. Does it ever matter? It don't matter. And so trust in the Lord means that you what? You want it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will direct your paths. Turn with me to... To Psalm 5. Psalm 5. David cries out to God and says in verse 8, he says, Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before my face. What's he basically saying? I don't want my way. I want your way. And make it straight before me so that I'm what? I'm walking in your path, not in my own. Do you remember what, what Yahweh declares to, to Joshua as Joshua goes into the land? Be strong and courageous, right? Is that helping you? Be strong and courageous. Say again. Meditate. Okay, meditate in the word. And do not what? Do not turn turn to, to it to the left nor to the to the right. Have you ever um, in, in, in ROTC, and, and so I don't know if you guys have ever done it, but military, some of you might have done this, been blindfolded and, and placed upon a, a straight line to walk it. We did this for, the, for, nav, for nav, navigation and orienteering. And we would, they would take us up to the football field, to the sideline, you know, so you have a, a nice white line going down the side, and we'd be blindfolded. And we'd be set straight on it. You'd set yourself straight on it, and then you're blindfolded. And they tell you, okay, now go ahead and walk. Only for officers. Is that because Melissa didn't care? Anyways, all right. So, oh, come on, buddy. You weren't even, you were in between. Come on, you can't do that. Anyways, and so then you'd walk for 10, 20 yards, whatever, okay? And they say, stop, and you take off your blindfold. And you know what you find out? How far off that line you are. You have a tendency to go left, or you have a tendency to go right. I have a tendency to go left. I'm left-handed. But it's interesting, I still have a tendency to go left, even in my, in my life. I have a tendency to go liberal. I know I do. So even in seminary, I chose a, a, a very strict seminary because I know I'm easily influenced. And so because I'm easily influenced at times, and I would tend to go to the more liberal side, I wanted to make sure that I was what? Brought back to a balance. Now, in orienteering, what you do is when you come to an obstacle, if you know that you tend to the left, what do you do? You take the obstacle to the right, because that continually brings you back then. So you hit an obstacle, you go to the right, because you don't always come back to that obstacle, 180 degrees on the other side of the obstacle. So you come back, and you, you'll tend to be more to the opposite side than where you are, and that way when you're drifting back to the, to the side you normally drift to, so you've got to continually come back. Okay? What David's saying here, he says, God, put your path straight in front of me, so I what? So I can't miss it. I can't miss it. I want you to lead me in the path of righteousness. Not for my sake, but for your sake. And then he continues on 
talking to him, not only that, but as we move into the, the shepherd in, in confidence here, I have great confidence. He says, and yea, though I walk through the what? The valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they what? They comfort me. Do you note what he says there? First of all, his temporal presence being with him. And if you can't see this picture very well, that's what they call in Israel a wadi. Okay? Um, in, out west, we'd call it a gouch or a uh, ravine. Okay? But they're huge over there. Okay? Um, probably originally from the, the Grand Flood. Um, but a river passes down through there. But only when there's rain up in the, the mountains. Make sense? And, and when you read about, I don't know which wadi this is, but when you read about the, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, this is a little aside here, okay? All right. Along the edges here, there would be ridges. There would be paths. That was their road. So when you read about the road from Jerusalem, you think I-20. You think paved. You think they took the time to build a road. It's not. Okay? It was just a little ledge along the side of a wadi. In some places, it's wide enough for a couple people to walk. In some places, it's wide enough for one person to walk. And so when you read about the Good Samaritan and how he gets knocked off, that's kind of where he's getting knocked off. Okay? So, anyways, so yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of, of death, I will fear no evil. Now, sometimes we don't think about this, it, but, and maybe I, I'm, I'm wrong in, in taking it this way, but I, I don't think so. Um, grammatically, I think it's there. Yea, though, what's the next word? I. Yea, though, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Many times, this is why we like to read it at, at funerals. And we, we like to refer to it as, you know, because of the funeral thing, and though I'm, I'm walking in the shadow of somebody's death, I will fear no evil. Why would I fear evil there? What he's talking about is as a warrior, in a place where there's what? Places that he could what? He could die. What do you think was lurking in this valley for a sheep? That's exactly right. That would waylay. That's exactly right. This is a good, good Samaritan story that's, that's there. Did I say the par- good prodigal before? Anyways, good Samaritan. But anyways, the, um, but yes, that's exactly right. There were evils... There were evils lurking in, that, in those shadows. Do you get it? And the wages of sin is what? Death. I don't think that David's talking at all about a funeral. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He's not talking about seeing somebody die and worrying. He had the heart of God. And who walked into it? He did. Sometimes we walk, we put ourselves into a dark spot. 1 John, we've been memorizing 1 John, right? In 1 John 1, it says, if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from unrighteousness. If you say you have not sinned, you make him a liar, and his word is not in you. You may not be a child of darkness anymore, but there are times when we what? We start to tiptoe on the edge. And sometimes we trip and we fall into it. We're wayward sheep. That's why the sheep wanted to stay with the shepherd. When they got out and they started to wander, many times they would wander into a place that was great potential for harm. And the shepherd, we know from Jesus, right? We'll look at this in a moment. Not this illustration, but from John 10. We know that the shepherd would leave his 99 and go looking for the one lost one. And he'd find it, and he'd bring it back. And that's why I said earlier that if the sheep would continue to go off, he'd have to finally do what? Break its leg. So, out of love for it, out of compassion for it, so it wouldn't go and get hurt anymore. And potentially eaten up by, by the, um, the wolves and everything else that might be lurking in the, in the shadows. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. Because you are with me. And in that, your rod and your staff, they what? They come from me. What was the rod and what was the staff? Good. Okay. One was the, 
the poker and one was the puller. Okay? You get it? I mean, one was kind of trying to bring them back, but one was to keep prodding them in the right direction. I mean, they were used for discipline as a whole. Okay? They weren't pleasant things. It would be like me walking up to Andrew and smacking him on the side of the head and saying, Andrew, this way. Andrew, this way. Eventually, Andrew's going to say what? Dude, you want me to do that to you? Anyways. Uh, and then, then he really get in trouble. Anyways. <laughs> um, but, but we don't like being provoked. But you know what's really kind of fun in Hebrews chapter 10? This is another little aside. And when it talks about the, the, you know, the assembling of ourselves together, why are we supposed to assemble ourselves together? So we can provoke one another to love and good works. We're used by God as those tools of provocation to one another. Our goal ought to be to, to help one another to move this. So first of all, his, his temporal presence with me, but, but ultimately because of my internal future that's with him. I know that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isn't this awesome? I mean, he goes on, he says, you, you prepare before a table before me in the presence of my what? My enemies. If you were here again in Sunday school, you would have seen that, you would have heard that when it's talking about Israel. In a sense, Israel is going to have this table, this feast that's laid out before them in the presence of their enemies. The enemies are going to look at it and they're going to see it and they're going to say, wow, he really is their savior. And that's what it's like with us. That I know that one day is going to come and I'm going to be in heaven and there's going to be the marriage supper of the the lamb. And I'm going to sit at that table. And I'm going to live in his house. How long? What's that? It's a long time, man. It's a really, 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 keep going. Long time, right? Because everything I understand is a matter of what? Time. But eternity is not a matter of time. Because before Genesis 1-1, when God created time, space, and matter, there was God. And so I only can comprehend it being physical in a concept of time. And eternity means that there is no time. So it means that like it just it, it never ceases. And that's mind-boggling to me. And so I'm going to live in the house of the Lord forever. But that's where I'm going to be. My eternal future with God, dwelling in his house. John 14, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many dwelling places or mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to do what? I'm going to come again, and I'm going to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Isn't that cool? I mean, I mean, I know you've probably heard it preached at a funeral or whatever, but Jesus is literally preparing a place for you. And one day he's going to be done with that room, that mansion, whatever it is. And he's going to come back to get you. Now, maybe when he comes back to get everybody at one time, or maybe that he comes back to get you and get you individually. Death, then, is not something to fear, using then that analogy, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because I've got an eternal future with the king. I'm going to live in his home. And so, even when I go through that process, and God will give me grace. I'm, I'm not looking forward. I, I, I'm greatly looking forward to the other side, though I may not be looking forward to the process. But I know God will give me grace through the process to continue to look to what? The other side. And for years, I had the opportunity to minister down at the Bonaire, um, which is the big ex-hotel down there on, on the hill. Okay? And years ago, it was a senior citizen center, not what it is now. And, and I got to teach in the chapel every Wednesday morning, and I had all these senior saints, you know, who were looking toward that day. It was so neat to hear these women and men yearning for that day. They weren't fearful what was going to happen to them after the grave. They were looking forward to it. What a great encouragement it was. Do you have great confidence in the Lord being your shepherd? That he's with you? Do you have contentment in him as well? Well, the practical, prophetical side of it that we want to look at is from John chapter 10. Turn with me to John 10. Because we see, and also in Isaiah 40 to 48, you can see that Yahweh declares himself as the shepherd as well. That motif is, is used of Yahweh um, throughout the Old Testament. And Jesus takes it upon 
himself in John chapter 10. And there are so many, again, if you don't read the Old Covenant, and if you're not a student of it, you, you, just, you will miss so much in the New Covenant, in the New Testament. Because, again, Jesus is, is using an illustration here that the, the Jews all understood. They, they knew it. In fact, in the end, they, they did what? They took up stones to throw at him again. You know? I mean, he knows ex- they know exactly what he's saying. And in John chapter 10, let's begin reading um, at verse 1. It says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him. Now isn't that something, huh? That means that when somebody else comes other than Jesus and tries to lead you astray, you should do what? Flee. Hmm. For they know his voice, yet they will by no means follow a stranger, verse 5, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And I know my sheep and am known of my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore, my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Drop down to verse 25. Jesus answered them, says, I told you, and you would not believe me. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe me, because you are not my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep are my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I have given them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Verse 31. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. So, the good shepherd we read about in John chapter 10. First of all, what do we know about this good shepherd? He lays down his life for the sheep. Why? Because they're his? Not just because they're his. They're his property. But as if you were here in Sunday school, and I read a little bit from Uncle Tom's cabin, because we were talking about how, um, how God has engraved us on the palm of his hand, and, and we saw again how, um, the, the, how he talks about, you know, you have sold yourself into slavery and stuff. And so we read a little bit about um, um, Henry. Henry? See, now I'm going to mess it up. The, the slave, George, George, thank you, George Harris. How George has the H um, emblazoned on his hand from, from his slave owner. Well, George belonged to Mr. Harris. But would you say that Mr. Harris loved George? No. No. So it wasn't just a matter of property. It was because he loved the sheep. Do you get it? He loves you, and he loves me. Now, when he lay down his life, when his life is laid down, what are we told in verse 17 and 18 about it? Not that he took it up again, but when, he laid it, when it was laid down, how was it laid down? Voluntarily. He did it on his own. He says, listen, the shepherd is going to lay down his life for the sheep. The hireling is going to do what? He's going to run. He's going to flee. One of the things, this is just toward pastors, and some of you 
have an inclination, I think, in the days ahead, you may go into the ministry, quote, unquote. Now, understand you're all in the ministry. Okay? You should realize that. Okay? Um, you all have a ministry wherever you are. But I recognize the fact that there are some that God call into more of a full-time capacity in that. Not that it, you have to be full-time. You can be doing other work, but that you have a, a greater calling in that where you're shepherding. Okay? And I had a, a guy years ago, an assistant pastor, who wanted to meet with me. That was in my youth group, actually, years ago. And um, he was trying to decide what he needed to do at the church he was at. He was an assistant pastor. And um, whether he needed to leave or whatever. And I asked him, I said, i got a couple questions for you. He says, okay. I said, first of all, whose church is it? And he says, well, it's, and he names the pastor. It's his church. I said, well, that's your first problem. It's supposed to be Jesus Christ's church. But since you already know whose church it is, then, then at least you know where the, everything's at. What he thinks goes. Okay? And that doesn't mean that I have to listen to you all, but honestly, I understand I'm an under-shepherd and that there is only one chief shepherd, and that is Jesus Christ. And that's why I don't like the term head pastor. Because if you take chief shepherd, literally in the Greek, and you bring it over, it literally would be translated head pastor. We have only one head pastor, and that is Jesus Christ. All others are under-shepherds. And when they see themselves as the big shepherd, the shepherd, then they've missed it. We only serve he who is the chief shepherd. Does that make sense? So my first question, whose church is? And he said, the the guy's name, and I said, okay. I said, my next question for you is, are you a shepherd or a hireling? Now, understand, these have to apply to me too, okay? And this is stuff that the Lord has, has continually brought back to me. And he says, ouch. And he says, what's the difference? And I said, the difference is, would you be doing what you're doing right now if you weren't being paid to do it? If you do what you're doing right now without being paid to do it, then you're a shepherd. But if you're only doing it because you're being paid, you're a hireling. And he just put his head down. I said, it's okay to be a hireling. I don't think God, I don't think Jesus ever condemned a hireling. He just defined the difference between them. The shepherd's going to stay and give his life. The hireling's going to run. But if you're only a hired gun, then you might as well go to the highest bidder. Make sense? I mean, if, 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 you're, if you're a hired gun, if you're a hireling, then this is the job. Move on. And chances are they probably didn't bring you on because you were another under-shepherd, but they wanted a what? A hired gun. They wanted a hireling, so they got a hireling. And, and that's okay. But you need to know what you are. And so if you're at that church because your heart is with that flock and you're ministering to those teenagers, because that is where your heart is, then regardless of whether they pay you or not, you'll want to do it. I really had a struggle with that years ago, and through these last eight years. That who am I? Am I a shepherd, or am I a hireling? Does it make sense? And, and I hope I'm a shepherd. That's where I want my heart to be. But God's the one who puts us through then the crucible sometimes to what? To teach us and to guide us. And sometimes, like Abraham, we need to know it what? Ourselves. When Abraham, when God asked Abraham to offer Isaac, do you think that he really wanted Abraham to offer Isaac? No. So why did he ask Abraham to offer Isaac? So Abraham would understand what was the most important in his life. Do you get it? And so we all need to lose something so that we know what is best. Does that make sense? And so, dads, are you a shepherd? Or are you a hireling? Men, now coming into the body, I said we're all ministers. Are you shepherds? Or are you hirelings? Or worse, are you just, just viewers? Are you just lumps on the logs, just kind of soaking things in rather than giving? Why are you here? Are you here a part of God's, God's plan in wanting to serve? Or are you here for the show? If you're here for the show, it's, I, mean, this is, I mean, this is probably the worst show in town. Okay? So, you're not here for that. But are you here prepared to engage, to serve and to minister to somebody else? Jesus said, 
just as the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. We ought to desire to serve. We ought to be willing to lay down our lives for the flock as he was. Secondly, we know about the Good Shepherd. He knows his sheep, and he's what? He's known of them. Isn't that something? As I pointed out as we read, they'll hear his voice in what? They'll follow him. How many times do we hear his voice and we what? We walk the other way. But what about the sheep? What do we see about the sheep? First of all, what's their responsibility? They hear his what? Hear his voice. You're responsible to hear the voice of the shepherd. If the shepherd begins to lead to a new pasture or toward the water, whose responsibility is it to hear the shepherd begin to lead? The sheep. Does that make sense? But again, if God is going to lead us through this book, if, if it's through the guidance of these words that he leads me, then how will I know where he's leading me if I'm not what? If I'm not listening to his voice. Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. But if you don't abide in the word, if you don't abide in it, how will you ever know it? You won't know it. And you'll be easy to be led astray. What's the other responsibility? Oh, let's go stay with the responsibility for a moment. The other responsibility then is to follow him. Follow him. And you've got verses there to look at, but there's only one shepherd. There are a lot of counterfeits. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, I'm jealous over you, the God of jealousy, because I'm fearful that someone may come in with another gospel, another Jesus, or another spirit, and you may very well what? Accept it. Or follow them, if you would. Okay? But what about the sheep as well? There's security. There is great security as we look at Jesus being the shepherd. Jesus said that nobody can snatch you out of my hand. No one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And do you remember what we talked about in Sunday school, for those who were here, okay? In Isaiah 49, Yahweh says, he says, um, I will never forget you. I have written you on the palm of my hand. And so Jesus says to, I can't remember which church it is in the church of, to, in the book of Revelation, that you are engraved upon the palm of my hands. You are engraved, you are written on the palm of God's hands. And when we're told then that nobody can snatch you out of my hands, it's because no, I mean, it, it's not even a matter that, literally, let me grab your plane for a second, that this is Bob, and God's holding Bob like this. I mean, ever, dads, have you ever done this with, with your kids? You know, they got a ball in their hand, and, and, and you snatch the ball out of their hand, and you start prying their fingers and take the ball out of it, and then you take the ball and they try to snatch it out of your hand, and what happens? You can't do it, right? You let them take one finger up, you know, and they, they think they're getting someplace, and so they start working on the next finger, you put that finger back down, and, you know, you know just kind of play the game with them, you know. Now, it gets kind of rough when they start to become teenagers. I won't do this with Matt anymore, okay? Okay? I, I'd still win, but, but... But it's not even like that. I mean, even that's more, is very impressive, okay? I mean, because we're like the little kids, or anything's like the little kids trying to take it out of Dad's hands that doesn't work. But even better than that, it's not just an article that can be snatched out. You'd have to scratch it and tear it off and cut it out because we're embedded, we're written on the palm of his hands. Isn't that cool stuff? I mean, he knows his. He's not going to leave you nor forsake you. He's not going to forget you. He knows who you are, and you can have the security. So Romans 8 says what? What can separate us from the love of God? Height, nor depth, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Sword, famine, earthquake. He says, yay, in all these things we are more than conquerors to him who loves us. There is nothing that can, that can remove you from the love and the grace of God. Why? Because Yahweh is my shepherd. My personal, 
individual, and he might be for you too, but for me, he's my personal individual shepherd, and he is looking out over me. I'm his favorite. You guys remember that? So what's a favorite, you four that were here on Friday? One who has favor. See, we always think favorite. No, it's a favorite, you know, like a Canaanite, like a Hittite, okay? The ite just means it's someone who is of that. And Noah found favor, chen, in the eyes of God. And we, we were looking at Proverbs, talking about the, 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 the ornament of grace, okay? The graceful ornament that's there in Proverbs 1. But literally, it, it, it talks about a wreath of grace. And, and, and that grace is really the word chen, so favor. It's a wreath of favor. It shows that you are a favorite. You are one of those who are of his favor. I'm God's favorite. But you are too. If they ask any of my kids who, my, who the favorite is, they might say Anna right now. But anyways, but I think as a whole, Anna thinks she is. And, but she is. Okay. Anyways, but hopefully each of them think that they're my favorite. Because I want each of them to know that they are what? They're a favorite. They are one who has my favor. Now they may see it better when they're in obedience to me. And so you may see it better when you're in obedience to God. Do you get it? Does that make sense? But when we're walking astray and we're under the discipline of God, it's hard for us to understand that we're a favorite. One who is under his favor. But the fact that he's disciplining us proves that he what? He loves us. That's why the rod and the staff, they, they comfort me. So, what about you? How content are you with the, the provision of God? Is, is there want in your life? And is it because of godly contentment or worldly discontent? How confident are you in the protection and direction of God? That God is, is, is protecting you from the wolves and the lambs that are out there, and he's guiding you in the steps that you need to take? Or is it because you have continually snuck out the fence and chose to walk your own way? How convinced are you that you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever? And finally, what effect does the contentment, confidence, and conviction have in your life? Are you displaying that you are truly a sheep in the pastures of God? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you that we can count you as our shepherd. And clearly we are just but sheep, Lord. Sheep are are dumb animals. And so many times we prove that we are true to the analogy. And yet you love us. You've engraved us upon your hand. You will never leave us nor forsake us. Even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're there with us. And you have prepared a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And you have anointed our heads with oil. Truly our cups run over. Lord, I look forward to the day when I will dwell with you. And I will become like you, for I shall see you as you are. But Lord, I pray that while I'm here on the earth, and these others while we're on the earth, Lord, that you would help us to be molded and conformed to the image of Christ. That we may glorify and magnify you in all that we say and all that we do. In Christ's name, amen.